You're listening to Voice of Israel. And now, live from Jerusalem, you're listening to Israel Inspired Radio on Voice of Israel. Here are your hosts, Rabbis Ari Bramwitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Shalom and welcome to Israel Inspired on Voice of Israel. That's voiceofisrael.com. Arya Bramwitz here along with Rabbi Jeremy Gimpel, my commander, my best friend. And we are doing our mission of sharing the bright, illuminating lights from around the world that are sharing authentic, new, exciting Torah ideas. Um, I had a friend of mine that lived here in Israel, and he had to leave, and he was telling me that every day he's on his treadmill and he's getting this inspiration from a man in Los Angeles. I'm like, Los Angeles? Uh, the inspiration comes out of Jerusalem. He's like, you have to listen to this guy, and you have to get him on your show. So I listened to a number of these podcasts, and oh my goodness, they are tremendously uplifting and inspiring. Uh, shockingly so. I was really taken aback by it. And it's uh, part of the, the, the uh, approach is very integrative, meaning I found that I was uh, sharing various ideas that I was getting from these podcasts from this rabbi, and I just had to get him on the show. Now, he's not just any guy. He, he won an Emmy for writing uh, on The Simpsons, a Golden Globe for Third Rock on the Sun, but his real claim to fame is that he's the co-founder and senior lecturer at the Happy Minion of Los Angeles. His name is David Sachs. David, thank you so much for joining us. For having, uh, having me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm humbled by uh, just, uh, just the opportunity. Well, 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 thank you. So I have to tell you, because I've listened to a lot, I, almost everything you've put out, I've listened to by now. And, uh, and I, I find that I'm, I'm uplifted, and it's, it's a great feeling, but I'm tr- having trouble putting my finger on exactly what is your mission here. When you have these students come and sit and learn from you, what feeling or consciousness do you want to imbue within them? Well, um... Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Great questions. And uh, I, I would say, first of all, I, I don't even think that anyone's learning from me. If they do, I, I, that's awesome. But um, what, what I'm trying to do is, I'm just trying to share what 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 I'm learning and and what I understand, and and then, you know, with the idea that all of us are just going through this together, and. Um, so I don't really hold myself up as a teacher. I mean, you, you honored me by calling me a rabbi. I, I, I don't have smicha, but, you know, I'm, it's, it's God's tar. It's, it's, it's the greatest thing ever, and it's just, I just want to learn as much as I can and, and, and share as much as I can. And just in terms of if there's a, a central theme that I'm trying to relate, um, I was privileged. I grew up in New York City. Uh, outside my kitchen window, I could see the... The, the 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 little shul of um, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach and I started going there when I was fourteen and and Rip Shlomo was like a a father to me and and I heard him say one time uh, I heard him say so many things but but one thing that changed my life was he said that people intuitively understand how far away Hashem is but the greatest kiddush Hashem the greatest sanctification of God's name that you can make is by communicating how close God is and so I think that if there's a central theme. That's um, kind of going through everything I'm trying to do. It's just to to remind people and just open up people's eyes to the fact that Hashem is right here, right now, and He knows who you are. He loves you like crazy, 
and that that's that is the essential reality of existence sort of bridging the consciousness making it uh taking god from being a cerebral knowledge to a uh a real relationship you would say a hundred percent you know like one of my favorite things one of my favorite thoughts i i was once imagining a conversation between two fish and and one fish says to the other do you believe in water and the other fish says you know i, I don't know if i believe in water my grandfather was very religious. He believed in water. And, and so, you know, what's the joke? The joke is there's nothing but water. Water is the only thing that exists. Uh, I would, and that's us in God. I mean, we're, we're, we're immersed. We're immersed literally in godliness. I, I was having lunch with a, a friend a while back, and I asked him, I said, where did you park your car? And he said, across the street. And I said, do you realize you can't get to your car without swimming through godliness? And I think that's the that's the essential that's the essential um, sort of work that we have to do, which is, um, or at least that's the first step, which is removing the idea of God as a concept. Like God is one thing on a list of things that exists. Like there's there's pencils and there's soccer and there's concrete and there's God and there's hot dogs. It's like, well, wait a second, wait a second. Like step back for a second. What, what was that on the list before? God is like, God is not one thing on a list of things that exists. Like everything exists within God. And the more we can realize that we're in this like constant, like amazing, you know, interface with him, you know, in, in every aspect of our lives, the more we can begin to do whatever it is we actually need to do in this world. So I'll tell you, I like the uh, liberation that you're uh, taking God from this sort of monotheistic bearded man in the sky who's shaking a finger and he's somewhere out there, and you're uh, into, a, if I had to say a theology, it would be panentheism, where, you know, God is everywhere, we are not, it's not pantheism where the whole world is God, but the whole world is godliness and we are a manifestation of that, but it presents its own challenges, I think, because how do you have a relationship with an energy field? You know, how do you, uh, you're, you're swimming through God, it just seems to take, it, make it more difficult to have that real loving relationship. Well, I think that that's where, um, you know, I think that's the greatness of the mitzvot. The mitzvot are that thing that really concretizes our action and our, our access point with the divine. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people, um, sort of like when they start to get a little bit inspired, a little bit turned on, it's sort of like they, they, they go to someone's house maybe for Shabbos, and they're, you know, it's so beautiful and everything like that, and then they want to find out more. And then all of a sudden they get like clubbed over the head with this idea of 613 mitzvot. And they're like, what? I, I, I just wanted some chicken soup. Like, what are you doing to me? Like, what, what, what's going on here? And it's like they, people don't get something very essential. It's like when I was, <clears throat> I didn't grow up religious. I didn't grow up in it. Well, I grew up in a very strongly Jewish home, but not quote unquote um, orthodox um, we didn't keep Shabbos, we didn't keep kosher, but there was, you know, there was a love of Torah, a love of Judaism and everything like that. And <clears throat> I know that over a period of time, I realized that, wow, you know, this is something that I really wanted to do. I mean, basically, the turning point for me was, I just, you know, everything, I was just so grateful for all the, all the blessings that were going on in my life. And I just wanted to find a way to say thank you to God. And I thought, 
wow, if I can keep Shabbos, maybe, maybe that's like one way I can really start to, to really say thank you to God. And um, so, so what I'm getting at is, is that the, the, the mitzvot are, are so concrete. And it's like one of the things that kind of kept me in the loop between the time when I was sort of like turned on, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite keeping anything, you know, quote unquote yet, was that I found out that there was a, a Torah way to put on your socks and shoes in the morning. And it's sort of like you put your, your right sock on and then your left sock and then your right shoe and then your left shoe and then you tie your left shoe and then you tie your right shoe. And, uh, you know, I don't know what I was doing in terms of like the, the mitzvot, but I knew at least I was putting my socks and shoes on in a Torah way. <laughs> and the reason why I love that mitzvah so much is because it's sort of like, you, you know, you, you might approach it from a different standpoint. You might say, hey, wait a second. The rabbis are such control freaks. You know what I mean? It's sort of like they're even telling you how to put on your socks and shoes. This is crazy. This is madness. But it's like when you really get into this idea that God is everywhere, and as you were referring to it as an energy field, uh, it's, it's beyond that. It's way, way beyond that. But just the idea is that there's no such thing as a secular moment that everything, even the most mundane thing in the world, has sparks that can be elevated. Because wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're standing before God, which means there has to be a holy way to do absolutely everything. So once you get into this idea, so, so when you understand that, you realize there have to be so many mitzvot. There have to be mitzvot that absolutely regulate or um, help to enlighten me how to use every single moment in my life in a holy way. There has to be. And now, all of a sudden, you have now a game plan for interacting with the divine. Because you have all these halachas, all these mitzvot, which now um, liberate you, because now all of a sudden you've, you've sort of concretized this relationship between you and the infinite. So I very much identify with uh, everything you're saying. This is Jeremy Gimpal, the way. Nice to meet you, Rabbi. Um, uh, here, here's here's a, a question that I think about. I, I believe that this understanding of God is a lot more um, evolved, a little bit more mature. Not necessarily everyone's ready for it. You know, obviously for kids, I think it'd be very hard to wrap their mind around. Maybe they still need sort of this dualistic understanding of, you know, one over there and us over here and praying for and receiving. But when you sort of enter into a oneness consciousness, what do your prayers look like then? Meaning we're not necessarily then praying to someone outside of us to receive something, but rather we are a part of a oneness. Um, what does prayer look like then? Right. So, you know, we have all these amazing paradigms to describe our relationship with God. And these are all classic uh, paradigms from the Torah, from Chazal. You have, um, you, have you know, father and, and child. You have uh, king and, and, and subject. You have best friends. Um, in Shir Shirim, you have two lovers, and 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 Rabbi Akiva, of course, famously says that's that's the highest, right? That's the holy of holies. That that paradigm. So I think that um, it, it's sort of like depending on where you are at in life, you can almost like a diamond has different facets. You can access these different paradigms in terms of your prayer and know what is the most appropriate um, way to relate to the infinite. Um, because even though God is ever-present, and that's what in the last few minutes we've been um, emphasizing in this conversation, we can't lose sight of the fact that God is also 
beyond, 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 right? So it's this, it's this simultaneous thing. But we've lost touch in these uh, past few generations, perhaps because of the Holocaust, perhaps because of, um, you know, all the, all the, uh, you know, horrors of the of the exile. We we've lost touch with God's closeness. So that's why, you know, the Baal Shem Tov was such a, a crucial turning point in terms of restoring our consciousness of Hashem's um, presence. But in terms of prayer, I mean, a lot of it is where are you at? If you're making a supplication, you know, and maybe, maybe you have to relate to God at that point. Maybe your prayer looks like someone standing before a king. Or, or, or perhaps it's, it's you're standing before your best friend. You know, so there. It, I, I think that a person has to really access the moment to figure out what's the most appropriate way to approach the divine, because we can never lose fact of the idea that we have to be ultimately respectful of God, but then we also can't lose sight that he's our best friend at the same time. Right, which facet of the relationship we're going to sort of tap into and be aware of. We're here with David Sachs, a man who claims he's not a rabbi, but if he's not a rabbi, I'm not a rabbi. That's for sure. We are going to go to a brief station ID break. We'll be right back with David Sachs. It's going to get even deeper and more intense. If you want, if you don't want to be inspired, touch the dial. I just wanted people to hear a different voice of an Israeli Arab who is loyal to his country. Mohammed Zoabi became a household name because of his pro-Israel videos. He joins us in studio to talk about what it's like to be a 17-year-old Israeli Muslim Zionist. I was born in this country, and whatever happens to this country happens to me, no matter if I'm an Arab, Jew, Christian. The full interview is archived on Israel Inspired with Arya Bramwitz and Jeremy Gimpel on Voice of Israel. You're listening to Voice of Israel. He's uncompromising. If they think that they're going to put pressure on Israel and that's going to resolve the situation here, then why should we even listen to them? He's uncensored. Because they keep repeating the same old thing, learning nothing. And he's live. Former senior Israeli government official Daniel Seaman can now be heard on In the Lion's Den on Voice of Israel. And the Jews are supposed to take it lightly. Well, we're not taking it anymore. Don't miss it. You'll never know what he'll say next. We are back with David Sachs, Emmy Award winner, Golden Globe Award winner, but the founder of the Happy Minion, a very famous, probably one of the, if not the most famous um, minyan, a Jewish prayer circle outside of Israel, which is definitely a claim to fame. I myself uh, spoke there once and um, saw a real amount of happiness in prayer, which is always good to see, because uh, growing up, I did not necessarily associate prayer with happiness. It was more a responsibility of saying liturgy, 99.7% of which I did not know what it meant. But if I recited the proper mixture of incantations, then supposedly I was okay. And that was my experience for, uh, for a long time. And uh, David, I'd like to bring this to a, a more personal level just for a, a moment. And I think we'll, we'll probably get more abstractly spiritual again. But tell me how you can 
became you, you. You were at the at Harvard. You were editor of the Lampoon. You were writing for the Simpsons and the Golden Globe and Three Third Rock from the Sun. It doesn't seem a that that sort of life um, is conducive to a religious Jewish spiritual life. And uh, and how did you come to do what you're doing now from that? Um, well, I guess, oh, just b- before I answer that question, uh, with, with your permission, I just want to say I, I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of the Happy Union. Uh, you know, we had uh, Stewie Wax and Johnny Boyer and, and Jeff Rohatner were, were, were right there, and, and they were awesome, and I've just sort of been their their partner in the process. But um, in terms of uh, my my spiritual journey, I mean, you know, I, uh, I was trying to think of the, my first conscious memory of God, and I, I think I was around six or something like that, and um, someone had told me, if you burp, you're supposed to say, excuse me. And, and that night, uh, I grew up on uh, 79th Street and Broadway on the Upper West Side in New York City, and I was sitting by myself, I was just this little kid sitting by myself in this giant pink kitchen, and I burped. And I thought to myself, should I say, excuse me, there's no one here. And then I thought, oh, God's here. Okay, so then I said, excuse me. So, so that, that consciousness was sort of like always with me. And then I remembered even before that, you know, my mother um, would always say to me, uh, would always say, put me to bed and, and say, uh, shma with me, uh, you know, bedtime shma when I, when I went to bed. And, you know, I, and I would just tell all your listeners and everything like that, you know, Wherever you're holding, you know, spiritually speaking, in terms of observance, whatever it is, you know, just the, the privilege of being able to say Shema with your child when you put them to bed, it gets into their bones in the deepest way. And, you know, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time that when you put a child to say, you should, you should tell them, I love you and I need you and Hashem loves you and Hashem needs you and you're beautiful. You know, that's the way to put someone to bed. And, you know, if you don't bases, have a kid, yeah. you should say it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So, so uh, you know, it was welling up inside of me from the time I was a kid. You know, it, didn't, it wasn't like a sudden thing that hit me uh, when I was out in, in Hollywood. And it was something that I always wanted to do. And, um, you know, I, I was very blessed in terms of my um, growing up, in terms of my career, um, in that uh, I set, like, big goals for myself. And, and, you know, God blessed me that I was able to achieve a bunch of them anyway. And and from that standpoint of kind of getting to where I wanted to go, I was able to see that there that there had to be so much more in life, that the truth wasn't there. That you know, it's sort of like you 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 look at this like big hill or whatever it is, and you get to the top, and then you go, well, you know, it's nice. This is great. I'm having a great time. This is really fun. I'm blessed. But but there's something more. And, you know, the more you look at the world, the more you realize that, that, that what we see with our eyes is just the tiniest, tiniest part of it. And if a person really wants to strive, you know, they, they, I, I heard Rip Shlomo say one time that in this day and age, it's a criminal offense to be superficial. You know, we have to, we have to look deeper. And um, it was that sort of like constant search for for, for truth and what's really going on, you know? I once heard a definition of genius that I liked, which was that genius is the ability to see actually what's there. You know, like when we talk about Einstein, he saw the curvature of space. He didn't invent the curvature of space. He just saw what was there. And it's like, God, God is there. 
whether we believe in him or not, he's there. You know, so many of us make this mistake. We, we do what I call bad math, which is we think God exists to the extent that I believe in him. But God exists whether you believe in him or not. <laughs> and, and he's not more there if you, if you believe in him more or less there if you believe in him less. He's, he's completely there either way. So, um, you know, I think that uh, it was, it was my, my just intense desire just to connect with what is actually going on in the world that sort of like took me to this place. Well, uh, here's a question that I, I grapple with a lot. You know, on one hand, you know, God is hidden. <laughs> you know, it's uh, beyond our reality that we can see, that we can touch, that we can smell. On the other hand, the entire world is literally filled with his glory. Like, where did this world come from? Um, why? I mean, what is all this about? Meaning to be so hidden, wh- wh- can he throw us a bone? Can he like, I don't know, maybe like perform miracles as he did in the olden days, give us a prophet or two. He's so hidden now that, uh, what's, what game are we playing in this stage in Jewish history? Why is God so hidden now? And what are we supposed to make of that? Well, you know, I'm so glad you asked me this, because this was the subject of my talk on Sunday. <laughs> and I, I was asking myself that same question, you know, because if you think about it, you know, what happened in Gan Eden in the Garden of Eden is, you know, Adam and Chava were like these creatures of light. They, they span these huge heights and everything like that, the Gemara says. And then all of a sudden they eat from the tree of knowledge and we get sort of like compacted into this more physicalized body and this more physicalized dimension. And it's sort of like God becomes much more hidden. And it's sort of like, well, why? So, so I think that anytime we have a, 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 a question about Hashem, we have to begin with, with, with the truth, which is that God loves us the most. You see, because I, I don't think that you can get shot. I don't think that you can actually understand the truth at all unless you, you start from that standpoint. So God hiding himself, therefore, has to be, has to be an opportunity that he's giving us. So what is the opportunity um, that he's giving us in his hiddenness? So we know the downside of it. We're, it creates an opportunity where we can make so many mistakes, and then that's, 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 that's tragic. But what's the upside of it? So I was trying to think of it in terms of a relationship, and it's like, imagine, and this is just, you know, kind of like the, the simplicity of what I came up with, so, you know, you'll forgive me if it, if, um, if it doesn't resonate, but it was meaningful to me, which is that, imagine you're, you're married to someone and you forget your wife's anniversary, and she's hurt. Now, how are you going to fix that? How, how are you going to fix that? Like, how are we going to fix the eating from the, from the eight sadas? Well, you could say to your wife, you know what, next year I'll remember. So that, to me, to my ears, that sounds really schwach. Like, okay, so next year you're going to remember, like, what's the big deal? Or you can make a special occasion on a day which isn't a holiday, on a day that's mundane, on a day that's concealed, if you will, just like a normal, regular weekday, you can do something really special. And by doing that, I think that you're expressing to, the, to your wife in this example how important the relationship is, that even when I don't have to do it, now I'm going to do it. So, or even when it's not easy to do, or even when it's not obvious to do, like there's no holiday, there's no anniversary today, I'm still going to do it. So the idea being that um, God creates this realm of concealment where he gives us the opportunity to deny he even exists 
or, on the other hand, to show how precious he is to us, that we're going to go out of our way and do all of these things. And that way we can show how much we actually love God. And then that will be the rectification of the relationship. Wow. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I, I just very uh, meaningful what you're saying. You know, as you were talking, so many thoughts were going through my mind. The one thought that kept on uh, popping in was uh, perhaps the hiddenness um, and even the doubt. You know, when do we ever know what we're really doing? You know, are we doing this because I want to get into heaven? Am I doing this because I want rewards? Am I doing this for some sort of thing that I'm getting in the end? That hiddenness and even doubt allows us to choose right really just because it's right. And that's also an opportunity. So we're here with yeah. David Sachs. Uh, David, thank you so much. We have to have you on again because I have about 47 more questions that I want to ask you. But uh, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing, which is the critical shift of consciousness from abstraction and cerebral intellect to a relationship. Those are the times we're in. Name of that's the podcast is, about. is... The name of your podcast Torah on iTunes.com. Torah on iTunes.com. We're here with David Sachs. Shalom from Jerusalem. Do not touch the dial. Believe me, it would be a mistake to do that. In just a few weeks, Voice of Israel will be launching our brand new website. Right now, you can save 30% with our annual membership. Get full access to the new site, the live stream, archives, and downloads by joining the Voice of Israel community. You'll be helping us continue to broadcast the truth and beauty of Israel to the world. If you haven't registered yet, log on to voiceofisrael.com, register and subscribe. If you're already registered, simply select subscribe. You can choose the annual or lifetime membership. Choose either one, but do it today. Live from Jerusalem, you're listening to Israel Inspired Radio on Voice of Israel. Here are your hosts, Rabbis Ari Bramwitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Welcome to Israel Inspired Radio. This is Jeremy Gimpel with Ari Bramwitz. We're broadcasting on Voice of Israel. We want to ask some big questions, but when you ask big questions, you really have to have big answers. And sometimes, um, Ari and I aren't just big enough. <laughs> so we want to bring on uh, spiritual guides, leaders, thinkers from different places around the world um, to weigh in on some of the biggest questions life has to offer. And um, we're here today with a spiritual leader in Los Angeles, one of the co-founders of the Karlbach Minion in Los Angeles. Um, of course, everyone knows Los Angeles is one of the centers of spirituality in the world, so it makes sense that we would be turning to Hollywood for holiness. Talk about elevating the sparks. Absolutely. I mean, like, that's the, yeah. So um, we're going to get right to it, and I, I want to ask the first question, you know, Rabbi Sachs. David Sachs. David Sachs. Um, with your teaching, your understanding of God in the world, um, less um, monotheistic, more panentheist, as we are sort of included in the oneness of God, and God is one and even beyond, um, what are some daily practices and habits that build your spiritual life? Things that you do that maybe other people, it's not like written in a book, but something personal that you do that you see like really has helped you in your growth. Right. Okay. So that's a great question. And um, just just one quick thing. I, you, you, you use some sort of um, 
kind of fancy terms, panentheistic and, and all the rest, all, all, I'm, all I'm coming from is an approach of, of Hasidus, really. You know, um, I heard Rabbi Ari Kaplan say the difference between Kabbalah and Hasidus is that Kabbalah lifts you up to God and, and Hasidus brings God down to, down to us. So, you know, all of this is just um, from Hasidus, anything that I'm telling you. So um, anyway, so, uh, so useful approaches. Well, to me, like one of the, the, the breakthrough teachings that I heard, um, well, I, I'll tell you a couple of breakthrough teachings for me personally. One was from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, just the idea of the absolute, um, how essential it is just to talk to God and to talk to God like he's your best friend. Um, you know, can you imagine, like, you, you have a, you, you're married, and you're married for however old you are, that's how many years you've been married, let's, let's just say, for instance, right? So, I've been married for 52 years, right? And it's like, do, do you ever talk to your wife? No, I never talk to my wife. <laughs> what? How's your relationship? Great relationship. You never talk? You know, we never talk, ever. So, it's sort of like, you, you hear the absurdity of that, and, and, and so, so, when Rebbe Nachman says, you know, you have to talk to God like he's your best friend, it makes the relationship so real, and it puts God right there at every single moment in your life. And uh, and and so that was a was a big game changer for me. Um, another game changer was uh, a teaching that I heard. Um, it's a famous question. All the rabbis ask this question, which is that uh, after Abraham Avinu got his bris, so he's ninety nine years old, I guess, and he's you know it's the third day, and Hashem is visiting him outside his tent, and it's the burning heat. We all know the story, right? And then all of a sudden, he sees three strangers, and he runs to greet them. And so everyone asks the question, like, wait a second, Abraham was just in the middle of talking with God. Like, what happened? He's interrupting God. And so I heard from uh, Rabbi Grumman out here in L.A. many years ago. He said, no, 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 God forbid, don't think that Abraham was interrupting God. He was deepening the conversation with God by applying the conversation in a practical way. In other words, it's like now he's doing the mitzvah of hachnasus orachim, of hospitality to guests. That wasn't, he never left God for a second. He's deepening the conversation with God. So, so this idea that everything that we do is part of this conversation with God, this ongoing conversation of God, our entire lives, was a big breakthrough idea. And, um, and I'll tell you one, one last one, which I heard from Rabbi uh, Gedalia Fleer, which was the idea that you can just, uh, you can pray for everyone at all times. Like, let's say you're walking down the street and maybe, um, you know, maybe you walk by a homeless man or whatever it is. Hopefully you give him some tzedakah or at least a smile or something like this. But you pray that he should have shelter. You should pray that he should have food. You know, a, a woman walks by you who's pregnant. You, you don't know her. You're not going to talk to her. You've never seen her before. But as you walk by, you, you say a prayer, Bashatova, she should be blessed with an easy birth. You see someone else, whatever it is, you pray for their needs. And, and, and you, this way, like David Amelech said, that I need to feel a tea. I, I, not, not just I, that I am a prayer, that this way you actually can become the embodiment of prayer by by praying for people as you walk by them and things like this. So this was another sort of like breakthrough idea for me in terms of, you know, really making a real relationship um, between uh, me and Hashem.
Three well-defined breakthrough ideas. I'm sitting here listening to you, taking notes frantically, saying, I want to do that. That's going to be part of my daily mantra. And, you know, I notice when you speak, you have a, you integrate often the analogy of a wife. And for me, I, I recently got married. I'm a, I'm a newlywed, I would say. Muzzleton, muzzleton. Thank you. And, and, and I could definitely use... Uh, guidance and advice on how to do that because it's a, it's a, it's a world in and of itself, and you put yourself in a situation of spiritual leadership and guidance. So I assume a lot of people come to you for advice. So what would be the best marriage advice that you would have? Well, um, you know, one of my favorite stories in the world is um, I heard it in the name of um, Rab, um, uh, uh, Shlomo Zalman Arba. Um, and he was um, famed for having a, a, you know, real shalom bias with his wife, like a great relationship. And the story goes that he was with a student of his, and he was already an elderly um, man at this point, and he's about to enter into his house. And before he knocks on the door, he straightens his tie, and he sort of, like, dusts off his jacket. And the, the student, like, the student is like, you know, like, wow, you know, you're, you're like taking a moment to like look really good for your wife before you enter your home. But you're like, you know, you guys are like, you're old already and everything like this. And you have Sean Vias anyway, like what's going on? What is this extra attention to detail that's going on right now? And he explained that when a person has Shalom bias, and, and I have to just, just uh, throw in one more thought here from uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karolach, which I, I love so much. He says, most people think Shalom, shalom bias is, I'm not yelling at you, and she's not yelling at me. He says, that's just a ceasefire. That's not Shalom bias, right? Real Shalom bias means that the Shekhinah is dwelling in your home. So getting back to the first story, Rabbi Shalom Zalman Orbach says that, you know, we're blessed to have Shalom bias. That means that when I enter the home right now, I'm going to be standing before the Shekhinah. And so I have to look good. You know, so if a person has this consciousness that um, when they're in their home, that, that, that Hashem is there as well, that, 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 that their wife is not just, you know, another person, their buddy to, you know, be nice to or not be nice to, depending on, you know, how their day at work went but that there's a whole other dimension to this relationship, then I think that that sort of like will sensitize us to, to, to go the extra mile, to really be a Baal Chesed, you know, like a real person of kindness. Thank you. So if we're talking now just about family, in reality, wives, husbands, um, Baruch Hashem, I got a few kids, and I, I would love to hear uh, your best uh, child-raising advice. Well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll depart from the, uh, the sort of like uh, more spiritual thing and say something more practical, if, or not, not that spirituality isn't practical. You know, I'm, I'm reminding myself of a teaching I heard from, from Rabbi Shlomo Karlobach. He said, you know, he says there are retail sins and there are wholesale sins, right? So like a wholesale sin, that's like a big sin. So like what's, well, what's an example of that? So the example that he gave was that imagine you're davening by the Kotel. And you're having the most unbelievable davening. And then you finish and you say to yourself, okay, now back to real life. He says, that's a wholesale sin. Like the idea that, what, now back to real life? Like, what, what was I just doing? That wasn't real? Like, that, that's not a part of reality? So when I say I'm going to say something more practical, not chas v'shalom, that it's not also, you know, you know, l'shem shemayim, but maybe just something that more concentrates on uh, something seemingly uh, less quote-unquote spiritual. 
so, you know, a lot of our kids, uh, you know, are, are bright and, and all the rest, you know, the Jewish people are, are really have been blessed with a, an extra measure of brains. You know, we can take pride in that. And, um, you know, one thing that I noticed with my kids is that, uh, that they were getting high grades in school, you know, without, without doing any work. And it's easy, it's easy to do that, especially in the, in the beginning going. And, and so you might be tempted and you, you're thinking that you're doing like a, a very positive thing by, by complimenting your kids. You're so smart. Like they show you another hundred on a test or another A. You're so smart. You're so smart. And you think you're positively encouraging them. But if they're not doing any work, there's another message that's being sent. And that is that, wow, the kid is thinking, wow, I don't need to work because I'm so smart and I can just get A's without working. And that strategy crashes and burns at a certain point in life. And then they're ill-prepared to make the transition to doing hard work because it's not part of their personality. It hadn't been integrated in their personality. And so what I realized at a certain point with my kids was I started telling them, listen, I'd rather you get a bad grade where you studied than a good grade where you didn't study. And they started to get that lesson and they started working and realizing that that's what they were receiving all the positive reinforcement for me from was the fact that they worked hard. And then once they become hard workers, that with the combination of brains is unstoppable. Well, so, you know, you're talking about uh, child raising, and and I have a question I want to follow up with about that, because it's, it's a challenge a lot of people around the world are facing, but particularly Jews in America are facing more challenges on that front than I think the Jews here in Israel. So we're going to, we have to go to a station identification break just for 30 quick seconds, David, and stay with us, because we want to really get a little bit deeper into the guidance and advice that are the golden nuggets you've been sharing with us. Do not touch the dial out there. This is Eve Harrow, host of Rejuvenation on Voice of Israel. When you tune in, you will get to hear the insights of some really great people. Terror organizations are growing in strength. We have to demonstrate that we're willing to hold accountable the people who not only hold the purse strings, but the people who facilitate the funds transfers. The war to defeat them isn't over. Catch the full interview on Rejuvenation with Eve Harrow, only on Voice of Israel. We are back with David Sachs, and we are just uh, interrogating this man, getting wisdom from him, because uh, that's what we really want to do right now in, in our life, is go to many of the great thinkers and teachers and, and uh, find out what they have to say about some really critical issues. So uh, we were, you were talking about raising your children, and you know, you're in Los Angeles, uh, a place with a lot of beautiful people, a lot of materialism, and a lot of allure. And you, with all of the, you know, the, the Simpsons and the Third Rock from the Sun and the entertainment and the promise of, of um, fun out there, you're doing a really good job of explaining and showing that Judaism is a very meaningful and spiritually fulfilling 
path in this world. Unfortunately, there are many, many 70, 80 percent different numbers uh, sharing. What is the level of intermarriage in America? It's unbelievable. It's like it's uh, not to use the word lightly. There's a holocaust going on of losing Jews to intermarriage. I want to ask you if you have a young Jew coming to you, he, he's not identifying, he's, he's relatively assimilated, and he says, I have this beautiful, wonderful girl that I'm in love with. She's not Jewish. You tell me, why should I not marry her? What would you say to him? Why should he not marry out of the faith? Well, um, you know, I, I guess most of the people that I interact with are sort of like kind of more spiritually inclined already, so I, I don't really deal with um, the, the, the case that you're talking about so much, but I do have um, a thought on it anyway, um, which is that if you try to um, address the, the issue of, uh, hey, listen, you know, Jewish continuity, this and that, you know, it, it's like it, I, I don't know that it's going to be that effective or that meaningful to the person at that stage in their life. I think that if there is any conversation to have at that point, at that late stage in the process, I think the, 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 the conversation has to begin not with, um, you know, is she right for you, is she wrong for you, but um, why do you think there's a world? Why do you think God created the world? Why do you why why do you, why do you, you think you exist? And I think that a person has to go back to either the creation of the world or to the before the creation of the world. Honestly, I'm not being uh, facetious to discuss like bigger ideas to decide do do we actually have a mission in this world? Um, do we have a responsibility? Is there anything that we're supposed to do other than just try to get through life and maybe have the best time possible? You know, and, and these are the issues that have to be discussed. And then if the person is um, open and, and sincere and, 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 and wants to grapple with those things, then eventually they will reach a decision regarding, you know, how they want to marry and how they want to raise a family and what their priorities are. But, um, but like I say, if you just sort of like just discuss the relationship itself, I think that um, at that point, it's got to go to a much more primary kind of like uh, talking point. Hmm. Interesting. David, I have a quick question, you know, because to me, it seems like the only solution to the Jewish um, existential assimilation, it's like such a topic, is, uh, is Aliyah. It's hard to assimilate here in Israel. I mean, if we're in a Jewish country, you could just everyone here is Jewish. Um, do you think, not that that's the reason, but do you think that every young Jew should be educated to making Aliyah today as an ideal? I, I, I do. I do. And I would, I, you know, it's a goal of mine, and, and I hope that uh, I'll be blessed to, to be able to fulfill it with my family at, at a certain point. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's absolutely primary to everything, you know. It's like I, I remember I was sharing with someone one point that just like, a person has an, an arm and a, and a leg, and that's essentially part of their body. When we're talking about the, the physicality of a Jew, that the, 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 the land itself, the land of Israel itself, is part of their composition. It's as much as your arm or your leg. It, it, it's part of you, you know, and uh, for a person to be complete, they, we need to be there. So I'm, I'm saying that, you know, as someone who's not there right now, and that, that, that 
breaks my heart into a thousand pieces. But well, that's that's where I am right now. So what can I tell you? Well, if it's breaking but your I, heart, I, I, go I'll ahead. Just, yeah. Go ahead. I'll just, I just add to it, you know, because there's something um, in addition to Aliyah. I don't want to say beyond Aliyah because that would be disrespectful. Um, because Aliyah is really so central. But 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 I want to say in addition to it. And this is something that, you know, for maybe people like me or people who are not in the land right now, or this is also true for people in the land. You know, <clears throat> there's another mission which I think needs to be um, communicated and emphasized uh, to Jews everywhere. And I think that this may be one of the uh, tools to um, combat assimilation, but it's also beyond a tool to combat civil assimilation. You'll see what I'm talking about in a second. Is that you see, we have an essential mission. See, the the, the idea the idea is let, let, let me put it to you this way: if there's a God, and 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 if you want to say, and there's a God who loves us, even right, you want to even add to it. Why is the world so messed up? Like everyone has this question, whether they're able to articulate articulate it or not. Why is the world so messed up? And the truth is, is that we we have the Torah gives us an answer. The rabbis give us a very simple, incredibly deep answer to this question. The answer is because the world isn't finished yet. You see, everyone tends to think that, oh, wow, God created the world, and that's what it is, and it's all done. It's not done yet. It's like, you know, I, I was thinking one time of a, just kind of a way to illustrate this. Like, imagine you walk into the kitchen, and there's like a, a glass bowl with brownie mix, right? And there's a raw, cracked egg on top of the mix. And you walk in, and you stick your fingers in the raw egg and the brownie mix, and you taste it, and you go, these brownies are terrible, and the person says they're not done yet. You know, what are you talking about? The world is not done yet. It's not finished yet. And that's actually why we were created. That's why we're here. God made us partners with him in terms of finishing off the world. That's why we're here. So, you see, it's like, you see, a lot of people, like I heard Rabbi C. Freeman say this. If you walk up to them and you say, why are you Jewish? They'll tell you, oh, you know, why are you doing this? Well, because I got to keep these traditions alive. He said, do you think that that was Avraham Avinu's, Abraham's answer? Like, I have to keep, what, what traditions do I have to, now he's the founder of Judaism. I have, I have to keep these traditions, no, no, no. He was this incredibly proactive, amazing, dynamic, transformative personality. It wasn't just about continuing something, it was about accomplishing something, which is the completion of the world itself. You know, Imagine an architect. When an architect goes to build a house, he, he envisions the completed structure, and then he sets about to build it. This is what our rabbis teach us that Hashem did with the world. He imagined a perfected world in the very beginning, before he created the world. A world with peace, with no hatred, with no hunger, with no obstacles to serving him. And then he set about to achieve that, and he created us to be partners with him to achieve that vision. Now, this is a mission that, I mean, we Jews believe in evolution. Darwin aside for a moment, we believe in evolution in the deepest way. We believe that reality itself is evolving toward this initial thought that God had for the world, or God has for the world. And so this 
idea of missionizing us to understand that that's why we're here, I think is maybe the most effective tool to combating assimilation. Because if I'm just like wandering around wondering, you know, what is Judaism to me? Like, what do I care? Nothing's being asked of me, really. I mean, I'm told I have to do all these mitzvot, right? Okay, so maybe on a good day. But other than that, it's not really touching me. But if I find out there's this epic project that I'm essential to, you know, not just keeping the program alive, not just preserving the past, but by achieving and realizing the future, which is the destiny of the world itself, then now we're talking. Okay, now what do I do? Oh, now if I do Shabbos, I'm like bringing down a bit of perfection every single week, like like Kashus, like Talmud Torah. Like now I'm on board. Now, I, now, now I'm excited to do it because I understand there's a concrete goal in front of me. Hmm. Wow. Well, here's the, I mean, the goal that was set for us in my mind was, uh, you know, envisioned by the first human philosophers to see world peace, not as an abstraction, but as an ideal and an achievable goal. And that was the prophets of Israel. And I'm asking you, do you believe that we are now living in the footsteps of Mashiach and that perhaps those prophecies are now coming to pass? And how like, big of a role should those prophecies in Tanakh play in our personal lives today? Well, you know, I, I have sort of like, um, uh, kind of like a, a, a mixed reaction to that. One is, um, yes, of course, of course we are, of course we're living in those days. And the other reaction is we have never not been living in those days. In other words, the idea is that perfection can come at any moment, that all the mitzvot, all the chesed, all the Torah, all the mysterious nefesh, all the goodness that our fathers and mothers have put into the world, all peoples have put into the world since the beginning of time. This is all cumulative. This has not gone away. And at any moment, any person can do that final act of like love that can put all of humanity over the top. So in other words, it's like when people sort of point to this world event and say, ah, this is a sign of Mashiach, or ah, that's a sign of Mashiach. Yes, but it's always the case. We're always right on the threshold. You know, I heard from Rabbi Shimon Green of Birka um, Satora, I heard something very remarkable from him. He said that, you know, we know that we ate from the Eitz Adas, like right before Shabbos in Gan Eden. And if we had just waited, we would have been able to eat from the Eitz Adas. You know, we, it wasn't going to be withheld from us, but it just wasn't the right time yet. You know, we had to wait till Shabbos. So as a result... As a result, what God has done ever since that moment in the Garden of Eden, God has extended Erev Shabbos for thousands of years. In other words, we're always right on the precipice of Shabbos. Just that Erev Shabbos has been extended, and we have to fix whatever we need to fix, and then, boom, we're right into the great shop. And that's really the, the only way to live. The only way to live is realizing that it's all riding on this moment right now. These are momentous times. They always have been, but I can't help but to think right now we're even more momentous in Jewish history and in world history. We're here with David Sachs. Thank you so much for joining us. I would encourage everybody to find him out, follow him on, on uh, iTunes. He's a, a bright light from Los Angeles. Thank you, David, for joining us. Voice of Israel, your source for news and views on everything Israel and the Middle East.